So, with that, welcome to Lent. Some of you guys are like, uh, what? <laughs> what is that? Some of, maybe if you grew up uh, in certain church traditions, Lent was a normal part of your yearly rhythm. If you didn't grow up at church at all, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Um, Lent is what we call in the church calendar a 40-day period of reflection leading up to Easter. When we celebrate the life uh, given for us and the life that was risen from the dead, that Jesus Christ is alive, as we prepare to celebrate that day, Lent is a time where we stop and we reflect on who are we becoming? Who are we? What kind of rhythms are we living? What kind of habits are we living in our lives? Are they allowing us to connect with God? Are they allowing us to connect with other people or not? Jesus told us really two commands. If you want to know what Jesus' vision is for our lives, what Jesus wants for your life, he said, number one, that we would learn to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, that we would learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love God, love others. And if we learn to live a life of love like Jesus, you know what? We're starting to get in line with what it is that God's created us to do. So with that line of thinking, we're beginning a new sermon series today called Rooted and Built Up, Everyday Habits for Growth, where we're going to be looking to see who are we becoming? What are the habits that shape us, that make up your life? And when we say habits, we're not just talking about the ones you're aware of, but the ones you may not be aware of. We're not just talking about the ones you were taught, but probably a lot of the ones you were caught. Our habits, it could be our thinking habits, it could be what we do, it could be what we don't do. It's a variety of different things. But the sum total of all our habits together we call our lifestyle. And really, how we live shapes how we think, who we are, how we live, whether we're becoming a person of love or not. So all throughout this series, we're going to be asking those questions. Uh, Who are we becoming? How do we begin to change? And just so you know, like, th- this question is a very personal one for me. It's one that I've been wrestling with in a lot of very personal ways over the last two, three years. I've shared some of this with you guys over the last few years, those who've been here a while. But around the fall of 2017 going into the winter of 2018, I hit this point in my life, I did not like who I was becoming. And I realized something had to change. I had this consistent knot of anxiety in my gut that just would not go away. You know how, that, you know how it feels if you look over the edge of a cliff? Like, like that knot you get in your gut? Like I had that kind of thing, except it just wouldn't go away for like a week or two at a time. I had this little eye twitch that would happen right up here that would stay for about a whole week. And okay, right, like what's the big deal? But what I noticed is all of this was stemming from this gnawing anxiety that just would not leave me. This gnawing sense that I was never doing enough, that I was always disappointing somebody, that I could never work, no matter how much I worked, it was never enough and I needed to do more. No matter how much I slept, I still just felt exhausted the whole next day. And it got to a place where I was like, I just don't like who I'm becoming. Like small, insignificant things would set off my anger. I said, what is this? And I looked at my life and I realized, yeah, well, I'm a, at that time we were parents of three kids under the age of four. Like, the, yeah, that's a lot. We had, uh, I was the new pastor here. Um, and like that was a big learning curve. But my anxiety was far exceeded what any of those things truly deserved. There was a stress that I couldn't get over. 
leading me to say, like, how do I change? And I share that with us because maybe some of you guys relate with my story. Maybe you have your own struggles, your own things that you deal with. But we've all asked the question at some point, how do we change? We look at what Jesus says in John 10.10. He said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And I realized, man, I was far less than full. (laughs) I was operating out of a dry, empty place, and I didn't know what to do about it. Here I was, a pastor of a church, had all the right content, knew all the right information, quote-unquote, but why wasn't it being lived out in my life? Where was that disconnect? You guys ever ask questions like this? It's just me. All right, make sure you're with me. But all that to say, that is really where we're going with this series, is how do we change? And today is somewhat of an intro. It's a high-level intro to it. We're going to dive in a lot deeper in the next, in the coming weeks, six weeks leading up to Easter. But ultimately, I want us to start thinking about our habits. For your life personally, how do you live? What are the rhythms that that, that guide you? What are the things that make you who you are? And how do we develop a lifestyle of love like Jesus? So, with that said, um, I'm going to jump in. But before I do, um, can you guys pray these words after me? Just say, God, take my mind, take my heart. Take my lifestyle and mold it to become like you. Amen. Now, before I get going in this whole thing, I do want to make one thing clear. And some of you guys, I might make this statement and you're like, yeah, no, duh. Right? Like, you may think that, that's, that this is obvious to some of us. It's not obvious to everybody, but even if it is obvious to you, we all tend to forget this. That the reason why... This whole thing we do called church, called Christianity. Jesus didn't come, and he wasn't born on this earth because he really wanted to start another religion. Jesus didn't give his life on the cross because he wanted to give us something to do on Sunday mornings. He didn't ultimately come and teach us so that we would have a church building to hang out in until we finally get to heaven. Jesus came Because he wanted to take the broken fragments of our lives and make us whole in him. Jesus' goal and his ultimate aim for our lives is that he would take all the fragments of our lives and ultimately piece them together until we are complete and whole in him. Now, I want us to look together at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians is a book in the New Testament written by Paul to a bunch of Christians in this ancient city of Colossae. And he's trying to explain to them, like they, they've, he's speaking to those who have already started following Jesus. These are not seekers, right? These are not those who aren't sure what they believe. Like they've already given their lives to Jesus. But he says, let me explain to you the, what this means. The trajectory of your life from here on out. And he says in Colossians chapter 2, Verses 6 and 7. He said, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you received Christ Jesus. You see, right from the beginning, Paul is talking to those who have already, they've turned away from their own ownership of their own lives. And now they recognize that Jesus owns their lives. They have received him. 
And if we had time, I'd, we'd read the whole first chapter of Colossians. Because we, we just picked up here in chapter 2, and we'll get to that. But first, chapter 1 is nothing but a big word party celebrating all that God has done in their hearts and their lives. He's saying God has taken you from the dominion of darkness, and he's transformed you to the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's like, this is a big deal. What has happened to you guys? He says, you guys knew you were once estranged, or he uses the word alienated from God, that you sought after your own ways. Your selfishness ruled your life ultimately. He said, but Jesus paid the penalty of your sin in his physical body. And because you have believed in what he has done for you, you no longer stand before God guilty, but you are blameless before him. See, Paul couldn't get over it, nor should we. This reality that a holy God has made a way for an unholy people to know him by taking our sin and our junk upon his shoulders, taking that to the grave, and then rising again three days later that we might have new life. That is the good news, the gospel, the thing that we celebrate every Sunday. We're never going to get over it either. If you're, like, I want to make sure we understand this in various shapes, forms, and fashions every single time we gather. Because it's that crucial to who we are. And it's the very message of hope for all people that in His everlasting love, God made a way for us to know Him. And guess what? It's not conditioned based on your moral performance. How many times you go to church? How many prayers you pray? You know why? Because none of us could ever, ever on our own strength measure up to the holiness of God. And because of that, He came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid our debt. So that we can stand before him boldly as children of God. He said, you only need to receive Jesus. To believe. If you've never done that, that's something you can do today. You can actually make that decision to follow Jesus today. But one thing Paul wants us to understand and what we just read. When we read from chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. As Paul says... We celebrate that all the time, but I need you to understand that receiving Jesus is just the beginning, not the end. You're just getting started. Congratulations. You've received him. Now continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in the faith that you were taught. Now, can I share a pet peeve for a moment? Is is this a safe place? You guys feel like that? Okay. All right. What I like to compare this to is for those who, who assume that, that Christianity, the extent of Christianity is encapsulated within, you know, once you receive Jesus, like you're good. Those who believe that once you receive Jesus, you're good, and that's kind of what the Christian life means, it's about the same thing as someone who thinks that a marriage is just about the wedding day. Right? And, and, and this, is, this, is, this is my pet peeve. Like, that's one of the things that, Anytime you watch a romance movie, a rom-com, or a Disney movie, every single movie ends practically the same way, which is what? A wedding. 
They're so happy. Life is perfect. Now they're having this wedding. I would love for once just to see a movie when they come back from the honeymoon and they got to go to work, they got to pay the bills, they got to develop relationships with the in laws, and they got to figure out how to communicate and share finances. Wouldn't you? Like, that is, but that's, that's often how we see it, right? Like, marriage, marriage is really a process of learning how to love another human being through all seasons. Not just when it's good, not just in the honeymoon phase, but all the time. And sometimes when we just focus on, let's receive Jesus, but we, we never focus on, okay, now what? We pretend as if it's just about that one day, that one moment. But we often don't know what to do afterwards. Evangelical churches like ours, evangelical is based on the word evangel. Evangel means good news. It means that we're a church really focused on the good news of Jesus. We're pretty good overall at sharing that message of what that is. We're pretty good at putting on retreats and events and mountaintop experiences. But I find that we don't always know what to do after we get off the mountaintop. We get into the day-to-day lives of having to do our jobs and having to pay bills and having to actually love people when we don't want to. And we're like, I don't know what to do now. And Paul says, but this is actually where our faith hits the road. Continue to live your lives in him. If we only focus on the receive part, but never on the rooted and built-up part, we will fall short of experiencing the full life of Jesus in us. Because it's once we give our lives that he begins the work, if we participate with him, of tearing down those things that are not like him in order to build up what is like him. And he promises, he says, as I begin to do that work in your life, Psalm 1 gives us this vision of what we become. That we become like a tree that no matter what the climate is, no matter whether it's winter, spring, summer, fall, that we're like a tree whose roots are grounded in the stream of water. That we bear fruit in season, that our leaves don't wither, that whatever we do, it prospers. Because we're grounded not in our circumstances, but in who our God is. That's the vision that he has for us. So how do we get there? How do we become rooted and built up? Because when I, a couple years ago, three years ago, that's when I was like, why am I not experiencing that? I want that so bad, don't you? But why do I feel so dry and so weak and like I'm barely getting by? Well, we're going to get to that a little bit more in a moment as far as how we grow. But before we can actually understand how to grow, we first got to understand that we do not live in a vacuum. But in a world that is also shaping us according to its own lifestyle. We're not existing just trying to figure out how to follow God. We actually have forces seeking to shape us that are at work around us. Seeking to also mold our habits and who we are. And everyone who has ever sought to follow Jesus has done so, has to do so, in the midst of a broken culture. Starting with the third chapter of the whole Bible, (laughs) human beings, those who love God, have had to figure out how to do that in a world that does not always honor Him. 
We've had to figure out how do we be of God, but not of the world. How do we live in the world, but not of it, ultimately. And for us, who want to be rooted in Jesus in the United States of America in the 21st century, we have the challenge of figuring out how to do so in a rapidly changing, globally connected, consumer-oriented, secular society. That's a lot of big words. That's a lot of things working to try to ultimately shape us. And on one hand, like, it doesn't feel like it's all that bad. It actually feels like what we got going on in our society is actually really great, and parts of it are. Right? Because instead of having to grow my own food, guess what? I get to go get in my car that I push a button and my seat warms up. And then I travel to a beautiful grocery store with pyramids of oranges from Central America, no matter what the season is here. I walk into the store and I realize, why did I even waste the gas? I could have ordered this all online because that's an option now. (laughs) But oh well, I'm here. Get it done. You get done shopping there. You get in the car and you think, I'm feeling a little heavy-eyed. I think I'm going to mobile order a fresh ground coffee from Rwanda and make sure that it's ready for me to pick up. And so I do, and now I walk in the coffee shop. I don't have to talk to anybody. I just go in, read the label, pick it up, see you, go. And after that, I make my way to a beautiful gym. I don't have to pay all that much for it, just a little bit. But in order to make sure I stay trim, I park the closest parking spot I possibly can to the door so there's not a lot of walking before I have to exercise. Get out of my car, get in, run on that treadmill, catch up on the news. Guys, is this not utopia? Right? Are we not living the high life? But let me ask on top of that, are we happy? As a society, are we happy? Because while having all of these things when I ask most people, our anxiety is out of the roof. Addiction's rampant. We're not a very happy people. Loneliness is an epidemic. You search burnout on Google, you will find articles everywhere on how to prevent or treat burnout. And all of this shows me that as a society, we may have gained the world but we've truly lost our connection to our own souls. And I, two years ago, I began to realize that the anxiety and the restlessness that often characterized my lifestyle was simply because I had just absorbed so much of what the culture had given to me. Because anxiety and restlessness is not new. It's not a new story. It's something that I guarantee we've all, in some ways, or most of us, have experienced or are experiencing. And when I began to realize that, I began to realize that because I had adopted many of the same habits and lifestyles as those around me, that's why I was experiencing many of the same symptoms. I got to a place where I realized, man... Even on my day off, I was trying to respond to emails because I was thinking, "Ah, I'm not sure what they'll think of me if I don't. I found that work followed me in my mind everywhere and was absolutely accessible to me no matter where I went. 
I was convinced that getting things done took precedence over time in God's Word and prayer. I'd love to schedule meetings and time for work, but I rarely scheduled time for friends or conversation. I felt like instead of controlling my phone, my phone controlled me. And see, technology, work, like these are all good things. They can be good things. But the question is, are, they, are we mastering them or are they mastering us? And more importantly, in absorbing the habits of the culture, I was not being shaped into a person of love. I was actually pretty impatient and crabby, to say the least. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, do not be conformed, meaning just absorbing the patterns of this world without thinking about it. Don't just conform to the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow God's reality to sink in instead of this world. And that dawned on me that the reason why many of these habits are formed in my life is that in living these out, most of these habits were rooted in a false view of reality. Much of the anxiety, the anger, the the angst was rooted in a false view of reality. Of reality, And I want to try to help us understand that a bit. It's kind of complicated to untangle in many ways. But I want to try to share what I see as three core big um, false views that our society has. Whether it's, this, you know, covert, whether it's named or not, there is an undercurrent of this in much of what we do. Number one, behind so much of our activity, our culture is chanting, be your own God. In the very beginning of Genesis, Eve was convinced that by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she could be like God. She wouldn't have to be under God's control. She could determine for herself what was real and what was not. She didn't like the limits placed on her, so she sought freedom outside those limits. And when we ultimately try to be gods over our own lives, whether we want to say that or not, because it sounds pretty arrogant to say that I'm trying to be a god, right? But if we are consistently trying to live outside of our human limitations that God has given us, are we not trying to be something other than what we are? In our day, we have endless choices. Scientific discovery is showing us a variety of ways that we can exceed our human limitations. Marketers are consistently telling us, it's about you, it's about you, it's about you. That feeds that, maybe I am divine. We have a celebrity culture, maybe I can be famous too. And before you know it, we start living in such a way to where our limitations as human beings, our need for sleep, connection, eat, you know, food. These basic needs we have as human beings are viewed as obstacles instead of a gift from God. We start multitasking, eating on the go. We get little sleep and we brag about it. We exchange rest and relationships for productivity. We view limits as bad, as the thing that restrict our freedom. But the irony is, is that we worship Jesus, who was God, didn't just pretend to be, was God, and he is the very one who limited himself in order to save us. He became a servant in order to serve us and to bring us freedom. As one author put it, we, for our own sake, tried to become limitless, and the world was ruined. Jesus, for our sake, became limited, and the world was saved. 
I want to encourage us to start thinking during this Lent season. Perhaps our limitations aren't as much an obstacle as a gift from God. And as we learn to embrace them as a gift from God, perhaps then we discover how it is that he's made us. And when we discover how we're made to live, that's where freedom begins. Man, I wish I had more time to talk about that. Second core belief, though. So number one, be your own God. Number two, you must stay connected to be someone. And this one's I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> how we even got here. Because 30 years ago, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, they had to call you a home. And now in less than a generation, we can be reached anywhere, anytime, as long as we have that little thing that fits in our hand or our pocket. And we can be reached in a variety of different ways. Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, right? Like text message. Oh, oh yeah, you can also call somebody. Like, like all these different ways that we can get reached anywhere at any time. And it's set up that the, our phone buzzes. And all of a sudden we feel this little anxiety. Like, I've I, I got to check that. What, what if it's important? And we pick it up, we open it, and this little shot of endorphins hit our brain. They go, ooh, somebody needs me. Somebody's thinking of me. And all of a sudden, like, that becomes somewhat of a pattern in our lives to where if we are not connected, if we are not hooked in constantly to all the trends, all the conversation, all the memes, all the things going on, then eventually we start wondering, am I really missing out? Am I really anybody? If you don't have a social media in this church, account in this church and you know who you are, have you not felt those peering eyes of judgment saying like, you, like, you don't even have Facebook? What's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's become so normal. But let me ask, does all of our connectivity make us people of love? Like Jesus? I don't know. We have to ask ourselves that, don't we? Number three. So number one, be your own God. Stay connected to be someone. Number three, you are only as valuable as you are needed and busy. In Christianity, we believe that we have our value because God says so. Before we've accomplished a thing, the moment we were, before we were even born, God gave us value because he said. And we belong to him because of what he did for us, not what we have done. But yet we live in a world that, that tells us, the secular society, if, if we asked anybody, we'd say, Do, does everyone matter? they say, of course. But if we then ask them, why? Why does every human being matter? that's when they often come up empty. Well, well just because I, I think they do. And when we don't have a real good answer to that question of why do I matter, we end up looking for other people, for our businesses, for our work, for our relationships, for other people to validate our own importance. And that whole thing sends us into a habitual spin of working later, working harder, not wanting to ultimately limit ourselves so that we're always able to perform. We wake up every morning and our first thought on our mind is an anxious, like, oh no, what if I don't live up to it today? Yesterday may have been good, but I'm not sure about today. And there's this running anxiety of you better keep it going, better keep it going, better keep it going if you want to remain somebody. Be your own God. Stay connected. Be busy to be important. These are obviously not from God, but yet 
while we might admit that in our minds, if someone just looked at our habits, would they assume that we believe them? Because two years ago, if you had looked at some of the patterns and rhythms in my own life, you'd just say, eh, I think you're starting to believe that stuff. And it was something that God had to confront in me. And I realized I don't want anxiety to be normal anymore. I don't want this, this thing in my gut to be there anymore. And I have to say, like, I, I've seen the way that God can shift my life. And the way that he has taken some of those things and sought to heal me and meet me right in those places. I'm still learning. I'm always going to be learning. We're always changing, right? But ultimately, how do we become rooted in Jesus? How do we become rooted and built up so that this reality we know of God is not just in our heads, but it starts to be lived out through our lives? As we see that in our all-consuming society, being rooted in Jesus starts by taking a good look at our everyday habits. Let me make it clear, though, first. Where I'm ultimately leading us is not to return back to the 1800s when everything was simpler, right? First off, 1800s were not simpler. They had things like civil war back then, you know? That's not the best. On top of that, science, scientific discovery have given us so much good. Technology has given us so much, so many good things. Global connectivity has given us so many benefits as a society. Work is a beautiful thing. I am not demonizing that at all. Like God has given us minds and creativity that we might innovate, that we might create, that we can create order, and we might bring God's love to the world. But what I am asking is what is ruling us? What reality are we living in? Are we allowing the love of God to fuel our work, or are we allowing this anxiety to measure up to fuel our work? You guys tracking with me? And so what I want us to do is just start, this is getting high level today, It's just three intro questions just to get us thinking about our own lifestyles and our own rhythms. And the first question I want you to consider is number one, who or what has your attention right when you wake up in the morning? Who or what has your attention? Right after your alarm clock goes off or whatever, what do you go to first? I have to admit, because my alarm clock's been on my phone, my first thing is I go to notifications. I look for text messages, I look for emails, I look for all these sorts of things, which immediately sets me into productivity mode. But what if we started our day just reminding ourselves of the love of our Father? What if we started from a non-anxious place instead of an anxious one? What if instead of reading that article on the coronavirus, we actually started by reading a psalm about how good God is and how powerful He is? Number two question, what do you think about before you go to sleep? One thing I've, I, I consistently hear from many different individuals, how sleep is a problem. And I've started experiencing this myself in various ways. Like you wake up and your mind won't turn off and it's like, like this. What if before we went to sleep every night, we soaked on verses like Psalm 4.8. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, the first night you read that verse, you go to sleep, maybe you don't feel a difference. But if you read that verse night one, night two, night three, night four, night five, night, guess what? After a while, it's going to start shifting the way we think as we go to sleep every night. Number three question, when do you set apart time to spend with God and others for non-work-related purposes? And I leave this a wide-open question because everybody's schedules are way different. 
I understand that sometimes we have seasons of life that, man, it's just a sprint and we got to get through. I understand that. But what I am saying is if we're going to become people who learn to love God and love others, are we at least setting apart time to connect with God and connect with others? We'll talk about more specific ways that we can do that in the upcoming weeks. But are we making out time for that? This past week, I've been trying something of my own. I've been trying to like each, each couple weeks to just incorporate a different habit into my life. And this past week, I've been trying to do kneeling prayer three times a day. Whether it's for like a minute or whether it's five minutes or whatever, I try to stop what I'm doing right when I wake up before I go to bed and at noon, around noontime to just pray. And I get on my knees because my mind gets distracted very easily. And so sometimes something physical actually makes me focus. But it's been amazing how inconsistent I've been. <laughs> Some people are like, I didn't see you, so I'm about to say that. Um, <laughs> habits are hard to start. But it's also been amazing how when I have sought to live that out, how I want to keep doing it. Because I see how I can say, all right, God, here's the anxiety on my heart right now. Instead of holding on to it and it building, it's like I dump that off and I say, I receive your peace. I receive your peace. It's small. But micro changes over time create a much larger change. We know that's how our physical bodies work. Small changes in diet and exercise all of a sudden create a bigger change in the way that we live in our bodies. The same is true for our souls. And the life of Jesus grows within us as we cultivate a lifestyle rooted in him. Developing habits sometimes means you got to give something else up in order to gain it. But why when we learn to limit ourselves, we start to figure out what freedom really looks like. So what is that one habit? What is that one small change? What is a doable, realistic shift that you can make in your rhythms or your habits this week that will allow you to be more open to God and more open to others? In a moment, we're going to do take the Lord's Supper. This is a habit that the church has been doing for millennia now. Where we stop, we pause, we connect with God, see if there's anything in my heart and my mind that are keeping me back from you, confess that, and then we celebrate the life given for us. So I want to give us a moment right now, just as a part of our regular rhythm as a church, Take a moment of silence. I'm going to pray and give us a moment of silence where you can just pause and reflect. If there's anything you, you want to confess to God, if there's anything that you want to lay down before him, do so now as we prepare our hearts for this. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you never leave us the same. Thank you that you are never an anxious God, but that you are always working in and through us to create us to be people, whole people in Christ who learn to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take a moment of silence.
holy God, thank you for not leaving us to ourselves. Thank you for being born among us, for rescuing us, that we might be people of light, peace, joy. Nourish not only our bodies, but also our souls as we take this. In Jesus' name, amen.